Welcome to the Top 5 Podcast with your hosts, Rail Bricker and Lindsay Adams. Well, welcome back. Our special guest today is Candice Mummer. Candice is based in Cape Town in South Africa. What an amazing city that is. She's an author, speaker, podcaster, and get this, uh, she's been voted Vogue magazine's one of the top 33 most inspiring women um, in there with Michelle Obama and a few other uh, famous people like um, uh, Oprah, man, oh, man. Um, she's also been placed in the top 20 African women uh, by the African Union and the United Nations. With a rap sheet like that, uh, Candice, I'm, I'm in awe of you. Welcome to our podcast. Oh, it is so good to be with you both, Ryle and Lindsay. I've missed you. We've met before. And yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Well, we're here today to talk about the top five tips to harnessing resilience. And you've got an amazing story. So let's start with tip number one. Absolutely. So the first one is overcoming difficulties, right? I think, if anything, the past two years has really shown us that regardless of who it is, all of us went through a collective trauma. And that trauma was really centered around the fact that we were losing our jobs, losing our relationships. Um, We all had to come to terms with a certain level of pain that the past two years has brought us. I think in my particular case, I was more used to dealing with difficulties simply because, you know, my father was murdered when I was a baby and I had to really come to terms with how I was going to deal with that. But I think the biggest thing about overcoming difficulties would probably be how you contextualize it. So what we have to choose as individuals is, are you going to look at your life through the lens of a victim or are you going to look at your life through the lens of a victor? And I think the two are so important because when we operate as victims, we constantly feel as though life is happening to us. When we operate as victors, what happens is we look at our life when we like this difficulty, like in my case, it would be my father was brutally murdered but I came out and I'm still, you know, doing my life's mission and I'm still living a life that I'm proud of. And so it is so important as we're moving through to realize that you have the choice as to how you overcome difficulties. So, so Candice, just can we, can we wind back to the, the issue of your father and give us a little more information for our listeners? I mean, I know the story, but it would be great if you could just walk us through what happened and I guess the ultimate um, act of forgiveness that you uh, you delivered. Absolutely. So when I was nine months old, my father was brutally murdered by an apartheid assassin by the name of Eugene de Kock. And as I grew older, I remember I reached around the age of nine and my mom had bought this book. And this book was titled Into the Heart of Darkness by an author called Jark Poe. And I remember my mom pointing at a man's image and saying, this is the man who killed your father. And that was the first time I really started to understand that, okay, my father was murdered, you know. And I remember every time we'd have visitors, my mom would send me to get this book. But Every single time people would either cry or scream when they'd open this book. And I got so curious. So I started sitting outside the door to listen to what page they were turning to and what they were looking at. And I recall hearing that it was a picture of my dad, which I was so thrilled about because I only owned about four pictures of them at the time. And another thing is I heard the page number. So I was like, oh my goodness, this is going to be, you know, amazing. I want to see this picture. And so one day I had my opportunity. I was home 
alone. And I remember as my mom was leaving, I quickly ran to the room, I grabbed the book. And as I started paging through, in hindsight, I started feeling anxiety. But at that age, I didn't know what I was feeling. And I remember getting to the page number. And what I found was a picture of my dad's burnt body clutching a steering wheel and his eyes were protruding. And I think that became the moment in my life where everything changed. I became so depressed, so angry, so upset, so much so that by the time I reached 16, I was hospitalized and I thought I was having a heart attack. And so I remember the doctor sitting my mom and I down the following day. And he said, in my over 20 years of experience, I've never seen stress symptoms so severe in someone your age. And he followed with the words, your body is killing you. And if you don't change what you're doing, you're going to die. So at 16, I had to come to terms with my own mortality. And if I even wanted to stay alive. And I remember one day I was walking from training and a thought hit me. And the thought was, Eugene Decock killed your father. And now you're letting him kill you too. And that became the paradigm shift that I experienced. And fast forward 24, I was alive. You know, I was doing all the things in order to stay in this vibration. And I remembered my mom said she had gotten a call from the national prosecuting authorities. And they asked if we'd like to meet Eugene in prison. And I remember saying yes immediately because I knew I was going to regret it for the rest of my life if I didn't. And so the day came and my whole family eventually decided they were joining me and we went to the prison. And as we got there, it was such an interesting environment because I was expecting to walk into this cold, steely place, a prison. And instead they walked us to like this beautiful, comforting lounge area with tea and biscuits. And it felt like I was visiting an old relative. And so they sat us down and I ended up being at the end of the long side of the table. And then it was my younger brother, older brother, grandfather, and then my mom. And then the rest of the seats were filled by the National Prosecuting Authority members. And then next to me was the priest and next to him was an empty chair. And they asked us, you know, to be calm that Eugene was walking in at any minute. And so Eugene arrived um, and we started the questioning. And I remember at the time, my mom had no details as to how my father died. We just had this image. We had a few stories, but we didn't know the detail. And so Eugene um, went into detail as to how my father was murdered. And he said he had set an ambush for my dad. And so the, my dad was asked to drive into Nalspreit, which was a town about an hour away from where he was living. And so four men were set up on either side of the bridge. And as my father's minibus was approaching the bridge, Eugene de Kock's team started firing at the minibus. From the top of the bridge, Eugene realized the car wasn't coming to a stop. So he ran down the Nelspreit Bridge and he emptied out his magazine cartridge on my dad. When the car stopped, he still saw signs of life in the vehicle and he doused them all in fuel and he set them alight. And so that was the first time we got so much detail about my father's final moments. And so the conversation continued and it kept going. And I remembered it started with my mom and she said, you know, Eugene, I forgive you. Then my grandfather said it, my younger brother, my older brother. And then it got to me and I said, Eugene, I want to say I forgive you. But before I do, I need to ask you one question. And he said, anything, what's that? And I said, I want to know, do you forgive yourself? 
And he looked at me confused and like, you know, and eventually he looked away and he wiped the side of his eye because it's yet come down. And he looked back at me and he said, when you've done the things I've done, how do you forgive yourself? And I just burst into tears. I just started sobbing. And what surprised me was I wasn't crying for myself. I wasn't crying for what he had done to me and my family. I was crying for this human being sitting in front of me because I knew that there was nothing I could do to take away his pain and there was nothing he could do to take away mine. And so the meeting ended and I walked around to Eugene first, who was still sitting. And I said, Eugene, would you mind if I gave you a hug? And he looked at me confused and he got up and he towered over me and he held me really tightly. And he said, I'm so sorry for what I've done. And your father would have been so proud of the woman you've become. And I went my way. I advocated for his parole. He received it. He ended up being released from prison. And yeah, that's my story. So, I mean, that's an amazing story, Candace. And, and there's not many people, I think, in the world who would come face to face with their father's killer and then forgive them. And so, and that led to you publishing your book called Forgiveness Redefined. And we'll come back to the book nearer the end. But what I gather is the second tip of the top five that you've given us really is probably what fueled you along. So do you want to share that with us? Absolutely. So the second tip is using your pain as fuel. And I think so often, especially in the spiritual community and various communities, we are taught that there's positive emotions and negative emotions. And our life mission is to eradicate all the negative emotions and only focus on the positive. But the truth is we do not grow without adversity. I've never met anyone who said to themselves, I'm so happy right now. I want to change my whole life, right? When we feel content, when we feel, you know, safe, we don't really want to change much. We don't want to grow. We don't want to expand. It's when we're in situations of discomfort and pain that we start challenging ourselves to grow. And I think when we start looking at those quote unquote negative emotions as more of a signal in a car, when you're driving your car and it starts flashing a red light, you're not just going to keep pushing that car to the limit. You're going to be like, oh, my oil needs changing or this needs to change. And I think when we experience emotions that are uncomfortable, such as pain and discomfort and unease, it's very important to sit down with ourselves and say, where am I going from this point? How can I use this moment to expand instead of contract? Because I think the biggest thing we need to realize is every single opportunity, especially a painful one, gives us two choices. And one is I'm going to use this pain to become even better than I am, or I'm going to use this pain to shatter me and to withdraw from the world. Incredible. So, um, Raul, you mentioned the book Forgiveness Redefined. Uh, Candice, where, where can we get a copy of that book? Is it available on Amazon? It is available on Amazon. It's currently the digital copy that's on Amazon. So you can get Forgiveness Redefined over there. Um, and you can also order um, online from my web website, candismama.com. Okay, cool. So and lead us on now to tip number three. Absolutely. So 
taking a risk on yourself. I think this is my most passionate tip. I love this one uh, because I think it's so important for all of us to realize that listening to these kind of shows, you know, listening to incredible speakers around the world, that is inspiring, but it's from the outside in. I think what's so important is to understand that each and every human being listening to this and around the world has got an internal guiding system. All of us have our own intuitive compass, and we already know the answers within ourselves, and things outside of us can only validate what we, what we already truly know within. And I think it's so easy to take the safe road. It's so easy to cop out on your life and take the road that everyone else has walked. But I think what pain, coming back to my previous point, teaches you is that Actually, situations are there to catapult you forward. They're there for you to not live a small life. They're there for you to take the next leap in your life. And so many people are afraid of taking risks and they're so afraid of betting on themselves just in case they fail. But I've come to realize that people aren't afraid of failure. People are afraid of failing in front of other people. And I think once you take that out of the equation and you're like, you know what, even if I do fail, I would rather be the person in the ring fighting for what I want and falling a few times and stumbling than be the person in the audience judging and pointing and saying how that person could have done it better. So I think when you take a risk on yourself, realize it's really about choosing you, choosing the life you were destined to live. Okay, so so moving on from that, and, and that is a great segue into your, your fourth uh, tip for yeah. listening to yourself or listening to your intuition. Oh, absolutely. And they're so interlinked. All these points are really interlinked. And the reason is our intuition is a silent voice, right? It's something that comes as a thought. It's something that we feel in our bodies. It's just something you can't explain. You can't put your finger on it. It's that feeling of someone walks into a room and you either immediately magnetized by them or you immediately repelled by them. And a part of you is like, you know, you need to meet this person. You know, they're so amazing. And everything in you is like, I, I don't like this person. And you, you don't have the evidence to back up your feeling. And what people tend to do in that case is they twist themselves into a pretzel trying to like this thing or this person or the situation. Instead of saying, my intuition is alerting me to something that may be happening and I can't see it. And so it's so important that regardless of what happens externally, that you realize that the truest guidance you're ever going to get is from that gentle nudge in your soul. It's from that intuitive guidance. It's from that space within you that's innocent and it knows the way. And I'm such a firm believer that your soul already knows. Your heart already knows. It's your logical brain that gets in the way because the logical brain cannot figure out how it's going to happen. But the soul and the heart already knows it's going to happen. It's all about just removing yourself as the obstacle to that manifestation coming to fruition. I love it. So wrap it up now for us. What's tip number five? Oh, tip number five is one that I think each and every human being needs, and that is choosing you, choosing yourself. You have to learn in this life, not from a narcissistic perspective, not from a, you know, I'm so self-indulgent and I'm going to love myself the way Kanye loves Kanye. It's more about realizing that, you know, you have to choose you in this life. You are the leading role of your movie. I'm a supporting cast. I'm a blip in your radar. Everyone that you're going to encounter is a starring role. If you do not like the life you're living, then change the script. 
You're not a tree. You can move. If you don't like the supporting roles, move them, change them, right? And it's not from a place of like, I'm the center of the universe and this is how it goes. No, it's saying you've got one life to live. Are you going to get it narrated and written for you and be miserable? Or are you going to say, you know what? I'm the Denzel Washington of my movie. I am the Beyonce of this group. And I don't like my supporting roles. I don't like where I am. I don't like how this movie is unfolding. And I'm going to choose me. I'm going to restructure. I'm going to change. And I'm going to live a life that I'm destined to live. I love it. You're not a tree. You can move. Uh, Quote of the day. (laughs) (laughs) Candice, that's fantastic. And just to summarize for our listeners, the five top tips for harnessing resilience from Candice Mama are overcoming difficulties, using pain as fuel, taking a risk on yourself, listening to your intuition, and choosing you. Thank you, Candice Mama. Candice, um, if our listeners wanted to get in touch with you, you've already told them how they can get a copy of your book, but if they want to connect with you, um, what's the best way for them to do that? Amazing. So they can connect with me across the board on Candice Mama. That is C-A-N-D-I-C-E, Mama, M-A-M-A. And yes, that's really my surname. It's not something I chose. It's not something I conjured up. Um, <laughs> and that is on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, across the board. It's Candice Mama. So the website's CandiceMama.com? CandiceMama.com. Cool. Yes. Thank you very much, Candice Mama. Thank you to my co-host, Lindsay Adams. This is Railbricker signing off for another edition of the Top 5 Podcast.